the Hit the Light podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hit the Light podcast with me, Big Frog, and Castleberry is doing somebody's taxes. No, just kidding, but yeah. Um, these last weeks have been crazy. We're both in this uh, comedy contest and we both made it to the finals and shit's been busy and <clears throat> Castleberry, you know, he's doing people's taxes in his tax season and he's also going to school and I don't do shit, but it takes a long time. So we haven't been able to get into the studio as often as we wanted to. I did an episode on Rush already. And so now I'm going to do another episode on a band that I like particularly more than most people do. And that is Queensryche. And uh, before I get into all that, I'll give you a little bit of the... Uh, metal news um starting with uh i went and saw jakey lee the other day red dragon cartel and man it was a bummer man i mean the number one bummer was that they didn't play bark at the moon which is to me one of the greatest solos of all time and you know he didn't play it and you know i mean i I've since then I've heard that he said in interviews that he didn't want to play any Ozzy songs unless he's playing with Ozzy, which I guess means he wants to play with Ozzy again, um, which I, I guess I could see that. Uh, speaking of which, with Ozzy, man, these these uh, health scares are getting to sound pretty serious, and he's postponing a lot of things. And um, I, you know, I hope for the best for for uh, the Oz man. But anyways, as far as Jake, um, so he didn't play that. He did play Spiders, by the way, which is an Aussie song. So I don't know uh, why that didn't apply or why. Anyway, it was a bummer. That part was a bummer. Um, and, you know, to tell you the truth, other parts of the show were a bummer, too. The, the sound was bad. It was too loud, even. I, and I... You know, never, you'll never hear me say that, but it, it was too loud. Fucking, um, the singer, he's just all right. Uh, he struggles with some shit. And you know what? And maybe that might be due to the fact that nobody in the band does backing vocals. I mean, you know, far be it for me to talk. I've never done a backing vocal in my life. I fucking can't sing. But, um, Nobody in the band does backing vocals. There's not even another microphone on the stage other than the singer's microphone, which I think is crazy, and I'm not sure if I've ever even seen that before. Um, I'm going to start paying attention now to see if that's a thing or, or what. But yeah, no backing vocals is a is a rough assignment. Also, the singers that he's covering, he's covering some of that Ray Gillen stuff. Man, hard, but... Anyways, like I said, he's all right. Um, Jake was playing really well this time. Uh, 
but he was having technical difficulties. He seems to have te technical difficulties a lot and problems staying in tune a lot. Um, and then he does this weird shit when he's on stage like he's talking, but there's no microphone near him. And but he's acting as if he's talking to the to the audience and that we can like hear what he's saying or we know what he's talking about or something. It's kind of weird. Anyway, I don't know. Um, I wanted, I expected a little bit. He was better last time. He was better last time. And last time it was the first show of a tour when he had not toured in years. And that was better than this. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyways. It wasn't great, um, but I love Jake, and I, you know, I always uh, love Jake for you know what he meant to me at at that time. That he was cool to me when I met him, all that kind of thing, uh, and that he was from San Diego, San Diego legend. All that is amazing, you know, and and you know, I love Jake, man. I enjoyed the show, it, you know. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, if I could just, uh, if I could just splice together all the, all of his solos and, you know, watch it in fucking 10 minutes, <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, but anyway, including the Bark at the Moon solo, by the way, which should have been there, should have been there. Come on, Jake. Come on, man. You got to know where your bread's buttered at, dude. So, you know, yeah, you're a legend, but I mean, you got to know these things. You got to know these things. You can just do whatever you want, man. Uh, anyway, all right. So, so in other news, Queensryche has a new album, and it's called The Verdict. And um, it just came out, and I've given it quite a few listens, and um, I dig it, man. It's. Uh, it's a more of the same of the new and back to the old but new direction, which is um, great. So happy that that's uh, what happened. Um, anyway, about this album, it uh, starts strong, which I like. You know, I like when an album just grabs you by the balls and this one does that. The first couple of songs are great. Blood of the Levant, I guess that's how you say it, um, or Levant, Blood of the Levant, or Levant, anyway, that's a badass song, um, Man the Machine, that's a badass song, it goes into a little bit of a lull for me, but I mean, the songs are cool, but they're just not as, like, strong as those other ones, you know, this is a first impression, you know, um, and then the seventh song, Bent, I love that song. And Inner Unrest is a badass song. And then Launder the Conscience is a badass song. Um, so far, that's, that's, what I, uh, that's what I get. And basically, you know, it's got a lot of that Queensryche. You know, the, the muted, uh, the palm muted riffs with, uh, you know, the leads that are kind of more, not really solos as much as they are part of the song, you know, that's, uh, that's like 
you know, yeah, that's just how that part goes. It's not necessarily a, a, a solo on a backing track. It's a, it's a, it's a moving part on a moving track, you know. So that's great. I love that. Um, the drums are a little different. Uh, Todd Latore played the drums on this. Scott Rockenfield is MIA. They and uh, they don't say a, a whole lot about it. Just you know, he's still in the band, but he's just not around or whatever. Anyway, he has a very particular style, and so it's kind of easy to tell that it's not him. But I mean, it's fine. They're good. He's a, he's a good drummer. He's a real drummer. He's not like you know some guy who just dabbles on the drums or whatever. Uh, so he did a really good job. You know, the bass is always solid, man. Uh, Eddie Jackson, always solid. You know, um, I like uh, this new, this, he's not really that new anymore, but I like this guitar player, uh, Parker Lundgren. He's, he just fits, you know, he, he uh, does the, um, he does, which, which is funny because in researching this, you know, I watch some old concerts, I watch some new concerts, to see that, you know, some middle era concerts I suffered through. And um, basically, from what I gather, Parker Lundgren is playing um, Michael Wilton's parts from those old songs. And Michael Wilton is playing Chris DeGarmo's parts from those old songs, which is kind of crazy, but kind of cool, you know. Uh, so... Wilton's all over this shit one way or the other, you know, and um, anyway, I, uh, I noticed that, but that has nothing to do with the album, but anyway, um, yeah, Parker Lundgren, I like him better than, than the guitar players that they had since Chris DeGarmo left, and uh, yeah, I think he's doing a good job, and yeah, man, I, this album's going to be in heavy rotation for me. For sure, because the bottom line is I love Queensryche. And so that's going to lead me into the episode, which is uh, Queensryche. And basically, Queensryche is one of those bands that basically I was aware of them from the beginning of the band until now. Which, not that many bands, I mean, you know, probably like, you know, Metallica, Slayer, Queensryche, um, you know, Megadeth, obviously, but they, they were never one of my favorite bands. Uh, <clears throat> these are bands that, that I was already into heavy metal when they made their first album, and, you know... And so I was on the, on the ground floor with them. Unlike, you know, like Iron Maiden had made two albums before I heard them. You know, Sabbath had made almost all of their albums before I heard of them. You know, um, different bands, you come in at different times in their history. You know, Rush, I came in middle middle of the road, you know. Uh, Queensryche, I was there from the ground floor. And... Um, and I remember the moment that I heard them because we had this uh, radio show 
here in San Diego called Metal Shop. I'm sure a lot of cities had a metal shop, but ours had this, uh, the intro was um, the part where uh, Ingve on the Steeler album, he does this thing with his delay, where I think it's two delays that you put, um, that play off of each other, and then you turn the knob, and it, and it like, flips it back on itself and it makes like this buzzsaw sound and uh from from the first time i ever heard it Ingve did it you know so on the steeler album and lately i've been hearing people do it on stage and mostly alternative bands which is weird but i don't even think they know where they got it from because as far as i know Ingve did it first or at least first to record it and used to do it on stage. Anyway, that was part of the Metal Shop intro. Where it would go, Metal Shop. And, you know, they would play heavy metal. It was like on Saturdays, I think at midnight. Or might have been after midnight, I'm not sure. But anyways, they would play just, you know, a bunch of metal. And then they would play long blocks. And then at the end, they would tell you what they played, right? So I found out about a lot of stuff that way. And uh, and this one time they played this song, which was Queen of the Reich. And man, that thing, that song had me from the first notes. It was just like... I was just like, oh shit, what is this? Like, right off the bat. I mean, you know, they'd played 10 songs before that one that I didn't give a shit about, you know, really. But they played that one, and I was just like, wow, man. Blown away. So, and my friend Lenny thought it was, thought it was a new Iron Maiden or something. I was like, yeah, no, it's not Iron Maiden. But, uh, but it's something like that, something badass like that. So, um, so at the end, at the end of the song, or at the end of the block, they say um, that was Queen's Reich with Queen of the Reich, and we're just like, oh shit. Okay, first of all, how do you even write that, or how do you say that, or what? You know, it was like not like now where you could just like Google it. Oh, okay, and what's that thing on top of the Y called? Oh, just Google that too. Yeah, it's fucking whatever. Nah, we had to like. We had to run to the record store, see if they had anything by this band. No, no, no. Then we went to Welsh's Music right there on Sweetwater Road. It's no longer there, obviously. And uh, looked in the catalog and bam, there it was. Because they had a catalog that would uh, they would get new pages every Tuesday. So we went and it was in the new pages. Queensryche EP. Bam. Uh, I think we ordered it, we got it in like two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was, and I used to have to wait for shit back in those days, and so we got it, and man, what a, what a brilliant thing, like, I mean, I don't think it could be better, for me, there was nothing on that four track EP that needed any improvement at all it was perfect 
as far as I was concerned, it was perfect. And I never say that. I always think this or that could be better. I always think, you know, um, of course, I hadn't seen Jeff Tate yet because that could have been better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't see anything that I could complain about. And I was a complainer back then. Um, and I didn't see anything I could complain about. I loved it. So I was an instant fan, you know. Um, now, of course, like anything I was into, I had to know everything about this band, you know. Uh, so, you know, I started going, finding out, you know, what was this, what was that, reading interviews and all that kind of thing. And basically come to find out that, you know, these dudes are from Seattle. And, uh, you know, they had been in different bands and... Um, and they all had day jobs and stuff. And they put together <clears throat> this group, which they had called The Mob. And, um, and you know, they practiced and practiced. And they didn't play anywhere. Like, they weren't uh, doing shows or anything. They were just practicing and recording and getting ready to, uh, to make a demo, right? And the thing is, is that they didn't really have a singer. And so Jeff Tate was around and he was in this band called Myth. And obviously, right, you know, when you heard Jeff Tate, you would probably want him in your band, right? I mean, he was insane, you know. And um, and so they recruited him to sing on the demo, even though he was in this other band, which he remained committed to. But uh, he he sang the songs and he also wrote the lyrics to the Lady Wore Black, which uh, which is a great song and you know great lyrics and uh, but for the most part um, his band Myth was a little bit more to the progressive side, whereas Queensrÿche was a little bit more to the heavier side. And it seemed to me that Jeff Tate always preferred the more progressive side, which got more progressive over time. Now, that's just my impression, right? Uh, but, you know, heavy metal is told by folklore, you know? I mean, how did you find out that, uh, that Ozzy bit the head off a bat or whatever? Somebody told you. You know, how you find those are how you find out all these stories and myths and stuff about heavy metal bands. And that's kind of I think it's kind of sucks that, you know, that all that is kind of going away with the um, with the Internet. You know, at at least I mean, a lot of things can just be straight debunked. But, you know, at least some things happened so long ago that there's no real way of knowing exactly what happened. I like those things. I like the things that are between the lines. Anyways, so in my mind, it was always uh, Jeff Tate that was pulling towards one way and the rest of the band, for the most part, pulling the other way. Um, anyway, that kind of started show its way right away i mean like oh anyway let me get back a little bit back into the history so they uh decided to make their demo they made their demo and it is basically the album and it's awesome you know and 
they're shopping it around and nobody wants it like the none of the major labels want to touch it so which i cannot understand for the life of me why i mean to me it's just so obvious but i guess that's just me anyways some mom and pop record uh store owners decided you know that they were going to go ahead and put it out and you know make small pressing or whatever and and so they did and it sold good you know and they shipped some overseas to all the magazines and all that stuff and finally they got a review on Kerrang magazine which is obviously a huge rock and metal magazine in England and um if you make it in Kerrang you you're making it you know so um so they got a really good review and then they started getting uh, bigger uh, label attention and uh, and shit took off from there. I'm pretty sure it was EMI who signed them and, uh, and shit took off from there, you know. And so obviously now Jeff Tate's in the band full time and right away it seems like they take they start to drift off course for me like i said you know to me that first ep was perfect i thought they should have just made 10 more albums that were basically just like that with of course a little change and a little growth but basically just like that and that's not what they did you know right away the warning has a lot of the same flavor as the ep uh, but it starts to sound a little different. It's got more interludes and things. And, you know, it's it's still great. It's one of my favorite records in the world, you know. But to me, it's already the first little step off of the, off of the uh, EP reservation, you know. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to complain about the best album probably to come out that year for me, as far as I was concerned. Um, loved Queensryche, man. Loved Queensryche. Then Rage for Order came out, and I remember that because it was the first um, Queensryche album that I bought on cassette, which... What a terrible mistake ever buying anything on cassette was, you know, I mean, it was like you could just you could buy the album and just record it onto a cassette for like 50 cents more. And then you'd have the album because the cassette was invariably going to die. But anyways, you know, we bought them. Uh, they were convenient at the time and, you know, as if they would be even at all convenient now but they were convenient at the time so okay cool uh so i bought that on cassette and i remember bringing it home and then i put it on and it was like hmm gonna like gonna get close to you i there was parts of it where i thought like my tape was fucked up because of the way it sounded i was just like wait a minute is this is this supposed to sound like this i didn't get it i didn't you know it was uh starting to go 
a different way, you know, um, and I wasn't liking it, you know, I still like that album a lot, it's still got a lot of great songs on it, but it's got a couple of clunkers for me, and a, cu- and a couple of, it's just starting to get really weird, it's starting to get really weird for me, um, and the, and with me, the way that I am is I always think I know what's going to happen next, right? I always think I'm a, a step ahead or or uh, seeing a few moves ahead. And I, it wasn't that I didn't like this album. I did. It was that I knew that I wasn't going to like what was coming two or three albums down the road because I could clearly see the direction that it was going and it wasn't it wasn't where I wanted to go you know I would have went for a fucking right turn Clyde like a motherfucker but you know there you go so what happened next was um, Operation Mindcrime and that is not what I thought was going to happen like I mean I was right in the long run but in the short run uh, I was wrong it was an interesting record you know it was uh it had a lot of the elements that of Queensryche that I like the story and all that was you know I'm not sure I even got it you know but uh but whatever it it was cool and it it was good the sound of it I like the sound of it bottom line I like the sound of it and uh Jeff Tate was all up in it and all into it and cool, right? Okay. But at the same time, because of the way that it's structured and everything, they're not like songs that independently are going to be your favorite song. You know, the the structure's just not like that. So, whatever. It was good and not so good. I don't know. At the end of the day, it, it was a good record. I don't listen to it very often, but it was a good record. So then, uh, we're getting to 1990, and uh, so we're like seven years out from the beginning, and they release Empire. Now, Empire had some songs that I liked, some songs that I didn't like, and some songs that I didn't get, and... Uh, but at the same time, it was their biggest hit because it had Silent Lucidity on it and it was, Silent Lucidity was in heavy rotation on MTV. It was a kind of a, a kind of a cool song, I guess, for the masses, you know, more than it was for me. People were starting to call Queensryche like heavy metal Pink Floyd which I thought was lame because I don't really like Pink Floyd. Uh, not that I don't respect Pink Floyd, they're just not one of my favorite bands, and I didn't want one of my favorite bands to go turn into one of my not favorite bands. Put it that way, right? Which is what was happening, you know? Uh, but still, Empire was cool. I dug it. I still went to see them. And... Um, as a matter of fact, it was Operation Mindcrime Tour, and they came here with Metallica, and it was a great concert, obviously, and um, 
and but Jeff Tate was on their stage talking about you know some weird shit about like the movement and other like vague references to some type of a movement or something and I didn't really get what it was I guess it had something to do with the mind crime it was a mind crime movement or something but yeah so um so mind crime came out it was huge in in a way it was like not I don't know how much money it made but it um it ranked at number 34 on Kerrang! Magazine's 100 Greatest Metal Albums of All Time. This is in 89, so it had just came out. I'm sure it's probably lower on that type of a list nowadays, but it made an impression at the time. And then Empire came out. And Empire, again, you know, Silent Lucidity, and, and, uh, and it was nominated for some Grammys and stuff. So... It was big, you know, Jet City Woman was a big song, Best I Can, you know, so these, it had hits on it, but again, it was a soft for me, you know, it, they were going in, to me, they were going in the wrong direction, like, not just in one way, you know, they were going in the wrong direction in the sense that they were getting more experimental, which I didn't like. More progressive, which I didn't like. And then at the same time, softer, which I didn't like. So everything was going in a, a direction that I didn't like. Um, but they were making more money than ever. So how could you, you know, tell them that they're doing the wrong thing? Obviously, they felt like they were doing the right thing. But, you know, and I would still go see them steadily. You know, um, I didn't have... No problem with their live show. I thought it was great. They still always played, you know, a lot of songs from the old stuff. You mixed it in with the with the new stuff. And it was cool. Then it started getting a little bit more too weird for me. Promised Land and Here, The New Frontier were like, I don't know, they were just okay. For me, no big deal. I didn't, uh, I wasn't feeling it. It just so also happened to be like during the time that I was heavily, heavily on drugs. So I wasn't really like aware of that much and or caring about that much. You know, I probably would have made, you know, would have gotten into it if I really, really, really dug it. But I didn't, you know, so whatever. And then Krista Garma leaves the band. And, oh, I should have said this earlier, but like I always say with every band that has two guitarists, I always pick one, and that's my guy. Well, Chris DeGarmo was my guy. So now he left the band too, which was an added reason for me just like not to really keep up with him as much as uh, as I would have. Uh they got Kelly Gray, who used to be in um, Jeff Tate's band Myth. So I don't know if he had something to do with further moving it uh, that other way again. But again, they were these albums to me, which are uh, Q2K, Tribe, Operation Mindcrime 2, Take Cover. Uh, and 
American Soldier, they're practically like irrelevant to me. I just don't, they're not part of what I paid attention to. I just, you know, and of course, Queen's Rec was still a great band. Queen's Rec could still kick ass live when they played, you know, the, the old songs that I liked. It's just that the new music that they were making was definitely not for me. Now, around that time, as a matter of fact, with the uh, the magic of technology, I can tell you that it was May 21st, 2010, that uh, Queensryche came to San Diego, and they played at this place called the 4th and B, which was a rad venue that has been through so many different changes and owners and controversies and now it's closed it's still there it would still be a badass place to have a show but i don't know who owns it and i don't know what they're doing with it but it's in prime time downtown san diego and it should really be something because it was really something but anyway we found out that they were going there and half the reason that we went was because it was there and so it was so much cooler than other spots at the time and uh, and it was Queensryche, so you know, cool. It was me and Lenny, and Lenny loved Queensryche. You know, he um, he used to do his vocal warm ups were uh, singing Queensryche songs. So um, yeah, man, of course, yeah, why not? You know, so we show up right, and at that time, the Fourth and B had done gone through this uh, phase where it was. It wanted to be like a lounge, like a big, super huge lounge. And it had couches against the walls and like a little side room where you could like sit and talk and drink your drink or whatever, you know. Um, it was very loungy at the time. Anyway, so so we're uh, watching the show and uh, we're on the floor and then they play, um, they come out, and here's the set list. It starts off with Hit the Black, Desert Dance, I Am I, Sacred Ground, Promised Land, Disconnected. Now, I don't even know any of those songs, right? And I'm like on the floor, like just like fucking with my dick in my hand. Fucking just going laugh, fuck, man, you know. And by this time, fucking, uh, what is it, 2010? I'm already, I'm already old, you know. I'm already getting old. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'm fucking really trying to stand here for this shit. Let's go sit down, right? So we go and, and uh, we find a couch where we can see pretty good from. And uh, so then they play Lady Jane. Another Rainy Night, which I like, right? The Art of Life, The Thin Line, which I liked. Uh, Jet City Woman, obviously. Lady Wore Black, yes. Can we play the whole EP now? No. Tribe, yeah, whatever. You know, um, drum solo, nice. Always nice. Rock and field, always nice. Uh, Liquid Sky, don't really know. Roads to Madness, fuck yeah, uh, Until There Was You, okay, and then The Right Side of My Mind, 
So basically, you know, right in that little last three songs, they could have saved it with some, you know, uh, Warning or Queen of the Reich or Blinded or any of that shit would have really helped. But they went out with a fucking whimper. And that fucking, we sat most of the fucking, most of that show we sat on the couch. Fucking looking at each other like, what the fuck was that? You know? And in our mind, or in my mind anyways, it was Jeff Tate's fault. He's the fucking one who fucking wants to fucking do his little fancy schmancies and whatever the fuck. These fucking guys, you know, because I can tell, man, like, you know, as a, a dude who's seen a lot of bands and who's been in bands and whatever, I can tell when the band perks up when they're playing something that they like and when they're playing something that they don't like. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing their best and shit and they're, you know, but it's not, it doesn't have that fucking little burst, you know, and they, and they didn't have that burst and I could tell on certain songs that they would get that burst and it just happened to be the same songs that I liked. So I was thinking, yeah, man, me and the band are right here, man, but Jeff is fucking everything up, man. Fucking Jeff, get fucking suck a dick, man. This fucking shit sucks, you know. So it was right there and then, basically, that I washed my hands of Queensrÿche. I was just like, all right, you know, I don't, I don't need to see that again, ever, right? So a few years pass, they make another album, which I probably, you know, by that time I'd gotten to the point where I would listen to the Queensrÿche album once. To see if they had decided to change their ways. And once I, I saw that they hadn't. Then that was pretty much it. I probably wouldn't listen to it again. And I think that's what it was for Dedicated to Chaos. Which was uh, 2010. Yeah. So basically the same time I gave up on them live. Was the same time I gave up on them album wise. And I really wasn't thinking that I would ever listen to Queen Trek again. I mean outside of the, the old shit that I would... I, I was thinking that I would probably never buy a Queen's Rag album again. And then some weird shit happened, you know. And I heard about, you know, oh, there's some infighting. You know, around this time, like, I was way into that metal show. So I was watching that metal show. And uh, Eddie Trunks always got his eye on all the cheese You know, he knows what's going on. So, um, so he was saying, yeah, man, they had, you know, they had a falling out. And there was actually, like fisticuffs and uh jeff tate spit on somebody or something and so there's gonna be a breakup and it was gonna be you know jeff tate going one way the band going the other way and they didn't know who was gonna keep the name both wanted to keep the name i always thought that the band should get the name uh jeff tate obviously thought he should get the name he was um already in the band when they came up with the name so i suppose he had an equal claim but he's only one dude and the whole rest of the band's on the other side so i was thinking that they were probably going to get it but they weren't sure because they were going to call themselves rising west the whole band without um jeff tate and this new singer that they had gotten who uh was named todd latori who i had not heard yet and jeff tate was uh, putting together his own version of Queensryche, which was super whack. 
And when I mean that, I mean, let's put it, let me put it to you this way, man. Okay. I'm not bagging on Jeff Tate because he lost his voice. That's not his fault. You know, it's just like a running back. You know, you could be the baddest running back that ever played the game. But when your legs are gone, they're gone, you know. And Jeff Tate's voice, I mean, he still sounds great singing certain things and singing certain songs. But he just can't do what he used to do. And unfortunately, he put the bar so fucking high that he himself can no longer reach it. You know, again, like I said, it's not his fault. What is his fault as far as I'm concerned is the directions that he chooses to take things and what he thinks is cool and what he thinks sounds good is not what I think is cool and is not what I think sounds good. And at a certain point, the sales of the Queen's Rag record started to decline to the point that the last album that they made with Jeff Tate was their worst selling ever. Anyways... So, it comes out that, da, 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 okay, the case is settled and um, Queensryche gets the name. Jeff Tate gets the rights to certain uh, albums, namely Operation Mindcrime 1 and 2, and he gets to use the name Operation Mindcrime, which is what he calls his band now, which is still whack. I mean, if I got free tickets, I would go. And, you know, sit there and listen. But as far as being, you know, anywhere near on par with, with Queensryche, it's not at all. It's, it's really not at all. And meanwhile, Queensryche comes out with Condition Human on November 7th, 2014. And it didn't take but one minute into the first song. And I was like, yes. And I had already seen video of um, of Todd LaTorre singing the old songs with Queensryche. And I, so I already knew. what. And I just thought that I was just getting the album and, and uh, listening to it just with the hope and the faith that they somehow wouldn't fuck up this perfect thing that had happened because his voice is just perfect for uh, for Queensryche. He doesn't sound exactly like Jeff Tate, but he sounds a lot like Jeff Tate, and he has the the same t- the same tone and personality that early Jeff Tate had. So it's just like it, it fits perfectly. And the thing is, is that that's actually his voice because he sounded like that in Crimson, Crimson Glory before he joined Queensryche. So it's not like he's just up there just straight up imitating Jeff Tate. He's That's what he was already kind of doing. You know, I, he, maybe he adds a little bit more Jeff Tate flavor to it, but whatever it is, it's awesome. And in most cases, you don't get that because, like... If a dude came in a band after Dio and he sounded exactly like Dio, which we haven't seen yet, by the way, yet, but, you know, let's say he sounded closer to Dio than anyone else, it still wouldn't be Dio, you know, because Dio's Dio. But see, Jeff Tate was no longer Jeff Tate, so it wasn't 
bad at all. It was fucking straight up better, man. Like, you know, I'd rather see Todd LaTorre sing right now than see Jeff Tate sing. That's just the way it goes. That's life. Harsh. Real, though. You know, is what it is. And this album and then The Verdict, which I just uh, started to review earlier on this. Fucking great, man. Fucking outstanding. And I've seen them live like four times since uh, because I was just waiting just waiting for that opportunity to see them again, and they're awesome. And not only that, I watched their, uh, their like all the shows that they do that they did at Vakin and at Donington and all these festivals that were uh, streamed live. So I download them from YouTube, transfer them to a file where I can watch them on my TV, and I watch this shit on my TV like you know, like I'm. At the concert, just really, really far away, uh, and and I love that shit because I I love to see a lot of times when you're at the concert, you can't really like, you can't hear that great, you can't see that great, you can't like tell exactly what's going on. I mean, obviously, it's much better because of the whole live component and the feelings and the volume and the people and everything, but for actually viewing and analyzing what's going on. It's much better to watch the tape. That's why football coaches watch game film, you know. They they uh, they saw the game, but now they have to go back and watch the tape so that they can see exactly what happened, you know. And that's what I do with the, with these concert videos. And right now, man, Queensryche is at the top of their game. Very, very much the best Queensryche since... 88 or so, in my opinion, you know, uh, and it's great, man, because it's one of my favorite bands is back. And when does that happen? When does that ever happen that, you know, one of your favorite, you know, shit? Uh, I just got Castleberry just uh, sent me a link to the new Ingve where he's fucking, uh, I knew it was a cover album. I assumed it would be shreddy instrumentals or whatever, but no. He's singing these songs with with like auto tune or something weird and fucking and he, he he can't sing and he's singing the fucking Beatles and some other uh, please Ingve be somebody resurrect Ingve for me the way that they the way that you know God or brought Queens right back to me please do the same for Ingve he's badly in need of it Uh Anyways, so in April, Queensryche's coming back to San Diego. It's going to be at the House of Blues, which is right down the street from where the 4th and B was. And uh, and we're going to do it again. And this time, there'll be no sitting on the couch. And this time, there'll be no fucking wanting to leave early. And there'll be none of that nonsense because it's going to be awesome. And um, and my girl loves them too, so that's that's an added bonus. You know, she's she's seen Queen's Rag four times, I think. Uh, so yeah, she knows all about it. And yeah, so uh, if you're in San Diego, I hope to see you there. And if you're not, I hope you'll go see Queen's Rag when they come around to your town and pick up the new album, The Verdict. It's great, and uh, and that's only after one day listening to it. I think you know. 
I, it's, I think it's going to grow on me even more. So, so bottom line, Queensrank, man. Love you. Glad you're back. Until the next one, this is Big Frog for the Hit the Light Podcast, and I'm out.